You know, our, our text for this series, which is what a character you are, and, and we've been looking at uh, how Christ-like character is developed in our life. Uh, of course, really nothing gets strengthened in our life unless we're in a, a moment uh, where we need the Lord's strength. And so we're going to go back uh, to the book of Galatians. We're going to start there, and then we're going to uh, go back to uh, the uh, uh the book of Genesis. So if you would, let's find the, the opening in Galatians chapter 5. And the 22nd and 23rd verse reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. In Genesis chapter uh, 26, we're going to pick up the account. Uh, we're going to be looking at a season in Isaac's life and a time where uh, he was tempted to uh, to give up or to give in or to go back. And it's a time where there's scarcity in the land or a famine or a drought. And we're going to pick up in the first verse and read down through the sixth verse. And then we'll pick up the story again in the twelfth verse. It says, There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father." And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law, so Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper He continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and of great number of servants, so the Philistines envied him. What a tremendous portion of Scripture. Uh, Isaac, who who grew up in the household of faith, uh, of course, his father was famous. He was the the father of faith. And through Abraham, uh, eventually the nation of of Israel would, would be birthed. Isaac is in a time of drought, severe drought, such scarcity that he considered going to Egypt, which really would have been way out of the way uh, and a long journey. And there was no guaranteed success in Egypt because the same drought that was in the land that he was dwelling in very much could have traveled or been in that territory also. But, you know, when we're desperate and when we're hurting and when we're hungry and when there's scarcity and when there's a drought, sometimes you know, what kicks in is the rational mind. Nothing good is happening here. I don't see any fruit. I don't see anything, you know, we're sticking around for. So I'm packing up my family. I'm packing up my belongings and I'm heading out of Dodge. And somehow in life, we do believe that grass is greener somewhere else. Somehow this philosophy gets into our thinking. And what happens is if we start running, we'll never stop. Now, there's reasons why God moves us from one place to another, but that's God's doing, and that's for God's will and God's purposes. But we're not talking about that. We're just talking about us packing our bags and just, you know, pushing in our chips, and here comes 
the exit and it looks like a good exit to get off on, surely down this path, down this road, things have got to get better. It's interesting, God knowing what Isaac was being tempted to do, comes to him and says, hey, I want you to do something. I just want you to settle down and stay put. And some somehow time sometimes can sort of change our perspective. What did Isaac had, the only thing that he had, that caused him to continue to prosper? He had seed. He had seed. And so he took the seed that he had, and in a time of famine, he sowed the seed in the place that God wanted him to be, and in that same year, he received a return. That's amazing. That's a miracle. He would have missed a miracle if he would have gone to Egypt. If he would have given in or given up or gone back, he would have missed out on God's miraculous intervention, his help, and his divine providence. It's an amazing story. There's layers and layers and layers of wonderful truths in here. And so, uh, not to belabor the point, but just to allow us to understand how aware God is of where we are and what's going on, this is worth rereading. Because sometimes in our mind, God is always a day late and potentially a dollar short. Have you ever come to that conclusion or had that thought about God? If you would have been here sooner, earlier, or these situations wouldn't be near as challenging and as difficult as they are right now. And then we end up saying, God, we're sorry. Your timing is always perfect. Your ways are so much higher than our ways. God asked him to do something, and here's my last point, that required faith. He had to trust in the Lord. From an outward appearance, everything was parched. The land was dry. If you took a a dowel rod and beat it into the ground two or three foot down, you would have just pulled up dust. No moisture. And yet, in that place, at that time, and in that season, God brought the harvest. And God promised him, hey, just remember. Remember how I was always with your father, how I blessed him. And I'm going to do the same for you. And it gave Isaac the faith to stay there, to sow, and to receive God's bounty. So I've just written in your notes, don't give up on the seeds you have sown. Don't give up on them. Keep sowing for in due season, you and I will reap if we do not faint. There's seed that you and I have in the soil. And there's seeds that we have in the soil in a lot of different types of soil. And that means you've invested, you've poured into, you've given into so many different people's lives or into causes or into the, the, your own spiritual growth and development, those seeds are going to produce after their own kind. And so I just want to encourage us all, you know, in a time of famine, when we're tempted, throwing in the towel, I'm getting off the off-ramp, I'm tired of traveling this road, things look pretty bleak, just keep traveling, you're probably going to run into the goodness of God. Keep sowing, never stop sowing. And if we look at our conditions, the book of Ecclesiastics says, you know, if you consider the wind and you consider the, the circumstances, then you aren't, you aren't going to sow. But if you consider the promise that if you sow, you're going to reap, 
and the one who gave that promise is none other than God himself, then we're going to keep sowing. I want to encourage us all. Let's keep sowing and let's let God do the miracle. So another area that we're tempted at times to give up on, to give in or to go back is on our lost loved ones. Every single one of us have people in our lives that we love and we want them to know the love of God. And some of them have wandered. We live in a nation that is filled with prodigals. You know, uh, children that have grown up around the things of the Lord and have gotten to a season in life where they said, you know, just give me what's mine and I'm going to go. And they've gone out the way of the world. And there they are away from all the things that they were surrounded by as children. And, of course, for those that have brought them up in the nurture of the admonition of the Lord, we all know the verses we hold on to. Bring them up. Bring them up. And they will return. So our part is to continue to believe the Lord. And sometimes... You know, the outward circumstances or the situations are just so overwhelming and so heartbreaking that we're like, I don't want to pray anymore because I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be let down. And in that moment, I think all of us know, you know, here comes that exit. I mean, I'm just going to write them off. I just don't want to talk to them. I don't want to see them every time, you know, we get with them. It just seems like it's TNT. It's it's not. It's more than, you know, just dynamite. It's TBS. It's drama. It's it's dynamite and drama. And I, I've had a, enough explosive uh, kinds of, of exchanges and I've had enough drama and I just want that. I just want the storm to be stilled. And, and here comes that 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 exit. And we are like we're veering to go that way. And let's take a look at a very. A familiar story and, and one that we all are accustomed to. But once again, it's it's uh, looking at it with fresh eyes and uh, is is always uh, a good way to look at Scripture. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 14. And it says, but when he had spent all, speaking of the prodigal son, he'd spent everything. There arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. Isn't it amazing how famines are mentioned over and over in Scripture when it comes to times where difficult times, challenging times. And, 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 but once again, this is not a fictitious famine. This is a real famine, just like the famine that Isaac encountered was not, was, wasn't a metaphor. It was reality. And, and, and this is a strong, strong reality is that Nothing hits home, nothing strikes a chord in our heart like our family. Uh, Zach and I had, had lunch today and we were talking about mischievous things we did as boys, of, of which all the men in here could probably uh, identify with. The reason that they made Daisy uh, Red Rider BB guns were for little boys to put on football helmets and have BB gun fights. That's, that was the sole purpose of the the the... the the, in, the, the people that, that created Red Rider BB guns were thinking of little boys. This will be great. And uh, they weren't thinking of, of people that would grow up to be like Elmer Fudd. They were thinking, just imagine all the fun these kids are going to have. The people that invented bottle rockets knew that kids would shoot them at each other. And they could say, this is going to be wonderful. All the Chinese, you know, people that, that made fire 
uh, uh, crackers and everything said, you know, let's sell them to Americans and they're going to find ways of, of blowing up the models that they have in their GI Joes. And, 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 and heaven forbid, if a little boy catches a frog, he, he might try to implode the frog. And, and that's what little boys do. So we were talking about all the little mischievous things that we did and none of them were necessarily against the law. Uh, but all of them were punishable by a paddle uh, without exception. And my brother and I could be like Tom and Jerry. We could be fighting and fussing. We could be like the coyote and roadrunner. I mean, we could just be at one another's throats. And But if someone got after my brother, then suddenly he became my best friend. And I would defend him. I would fight with him. I would scuffle for him. And I would stand up for him. And and there's many a time where my brother was was in a precarious place and I jumped in the middle of it because uh, I felt like I needed to help my brother at that particular moment. And we both went home with bruises and battered and, you know, a bloody nose or a black eye or a fat lip. And, of course, mom, seeing the outward evidence that something happened, you know, would ask and I would say, well, Steve got in a fight and I felt the need to defend him. And she says, well, you boys sure do care about each other. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point is I would take I would take a black eye from my brother. Nothing is more important to us. And you know who knows that? The enemy. He knows what's important to people. And that's where he wants to hit us. He knows. He knows what would get us to quit. He's trying to get us to quit, to turn back and to give in and to give up. He He's banking on it. And so uh, he he uh, he comes this way, and this this son we understand was not in a good place. He wasn't thinking well, and therefore he wasn't behaving well, wasn't interacting with his father respectfully. But you know the story is a, a phenomenal story because it encourages us in our moment of weakness. This father is phenomenal and encourages us in our parenting or in reaching out to the people and loved ones in our life. And so in verse 15, it says, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he, he sent him into his field uh, to feed the swine. And, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands or hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger. Wow. What a, what a moment of like enlightenment and epiphany happened. I mean, the lights went on. But notice they went on when he was by himself and alone. Uh, when he was the talk of the town and when he was a cat's meow and when he had more money than what he could spend, when all of that was gone and he was left to himself and everyone looked around and said, you know, you really don't have anything to offer us, so I don't know why we're even keeping company with you anymore. And so he found a farmer who was willing to allow him at least to work the land and, you know, maybe partake of some of the, the worst of the food that was on the property, but it's all that he had until he realized he had something much more. Sometimes people don't know what they have or what they had until they don't have it anymore. And that's the hardest, hardest timeline from the time that a parent or, or a loved one wanders, you know, they see a child wander, a grandchild, a cousin, uh, an uncle, an aunt, or any some, anyone like that. They get away from the path. 
somehow, you know, the lights and all the, all the things in the world seem so appealing and so attracting until no longer are they attractive. And what becomes real to us is that we really had something all the while. And it's unfortunate, but sometimes in life, I mean, we don't know what we have till we don't have it. And I, I, I've been there. I mean, I've taken things for granted and people for granted and, and even at times my nation for granted. Um, but as, you know, the lights come on, we do less and less of that. And we try to pass those lessons on to others so they also don't go down that same path. Well, in verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said to the servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry for this son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Beautiful story. I wrote once again in your notes, keep praying. I know at times you don't want to, you want to stop praying, but keep praying. Your prayers avail much. Remember who you're praying to and who you're praying for and keep praying. Labors, pray for labors to go across their path. Pray that the eyes of their understanding would be open and their hearts would be receptive. That God would create in them a tender and clear heart. That God would bring things to their remembrance. And then the third I think common off-ramp that we all consider as far as giving up or giving in or going back is when we're persecuted for doing what's right. Do you all understand if we do what's wrong, then consequences are according to what we did? And we can live with that. That's called justice. But when we do what's right and things don't go well and we end up being persecuted, Uh, Sometimes we're like, you know, is it even worth it? Do I want to keep staying on this road? Do I want to walk this path? Do I want to put up with this? And let's take a look at Matthew's gospel. So we're here in Luke. Just go back a couple books. Matthew's gospel, chapter 5. And we're going to pick up in the 10th verse. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, when we suffer for doing what's right, I believe that one of the most commendable things we can do is to commit our soul unto the Lord. I, I want to finish by reading First Peter chapter three and talk about this uh, after this reading. So, if you would go with me to First Peter chapter three, and I'll let you sort of flip back in the New Testament. And um, if you get to the book of Hebrews, all you have to do is go to the book of James, and then you're going to hit Peter and go to First Peter chapter three. And let's look at verse 13 through 17. As we read this text, let's remember who's writing it. 
and some of the challenges and some of the character development uh, that took place in, in, in Peter's life, it says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? That's a great question. Maybe that's something that we need to ask ourselves in the midst of being persecuted when you do what's right. And I'll do my best here in a minute, try to give you a few examples of potentially what that looks like for each and every one of us. Okay. So in that moment, we have to sort of stop and we have to say, all right, is my good being evil spoken of? No one knows intent or motive more than God and more than us. You know, we know why we do what we do or why we said what we said, and all of us can judge that righteously. But when we know what we've done, we've done as unto the Lord, and we've known that we were just standing for what is right and true, and here comes this onslaught of persecution and people reviling us and saying all kinds of evil against us. In other words, slander, slandering your name, trying to ruin your reputation, trying to drag you through the mud. Uh, you know, it. everyone has a point, a threshold where human ego sort of gets crushed. And we feel like we have to defend or say something. And uh, understandably, I, I mean, at times... Maybe it is a good to bring clarity, to try to bring perspective or understanding. But if you said what was true and right and you did it in the right spirit, then sometimes that just has to sit out there long enough for people to try to understand you're not trying to cause them any harm. He goes on. This is tremendous counsel. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, which means we will, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, or set apart the Lord, or commit your way, your soul unto the Lord, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Here's the right spirit, with meekness and with fear. Having a good conscience, That when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ, eventually they may be ashamed. They may even be embarrassed that they would say such horrible things about you or accuse you in such inappropriate ways. So you're on a business trip and you have the business credit card. Well, you've been given certain jurisdictions to use that card for company purposes. But man, they have a championship 18-hole golf course down the road. And after all, a little leisure time, never hurt anyone. And here comes the temptation to use something that's supposed to be used for the betterment of business, and all of a sudden it's used for pleasure. And someone gets called out on it. Someone says, you know, I'm not going to do that. I just don't think it's right for conscience sake. I'm not comfortable with it, and so I'm not going to participate. And then here comes a number of options that could take place. One is they could say, hey, thanks for helping us, but a more likable or more realistic one, or likely one, I should say, not likable, is like, 
hey, you think you're better than us? What are you going to do? Tell the boss, blah, 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 et cetera. And it can create a lot of tension and awkwardness in the workplace. Uh, you know, if there are things that are going on ethically or, in, you know, uh, unethically within a, in a work environment and, and, you know, you bring that to someone's attention, you're doing what's right. You're trying to, you know, uh, now, I, I understand there's sort of protocol, there's lines, there's judgment calls, all of the above. And sometimes we don't have a dog in certain fights. But in other situations where, you know, it could be destroying someone, their career, their family, their future, uh, and you're trying to stand between them and devastation and you get thrown under the bus, all right, that's one form of persecution. But... Peter brought out, you know, if you're if you're giving an answer for the hope that you have, if someone in the course of any example says, well, why are what I mean, everybody does this. Why aren't you doing this? And you say, well, everyone is an exaggeration. It always is. It's like never and always. It's never and always. It's never and always. That that is. That, that's a phrase that's used to try to encompass everybody as guilty. Everyone's doing this and you, why aren't you doing it? And, it, and in reality, it, it's a form of subtle manipulation. You know, everyone does always. I mean, they're always doing this. And always and never aren't real, just like everyone isn't real. Everyone isn't doing it. Everyone doesn't agree with it. Now, not everyone talks about it because everyone has sort of their place where they feel time and space allows them to say something. But when it comes to persecution, when it comes to standing up for what's right because it's right in regards to our faith, in regards to the scripture, then we can never apologize and we can never be ashamed or embarrassed about telling the truth as long as we're doing it in a spirit of meekness and a spirit of reverential fear. Then it's up to them. It's up to them. Charlene and I have family that, uh, you know, aren't church-going folks. That's the reality. And uh, when we're with them and they plan on something on a Sunday morning, sometimes we say, hey, we'll just catch up with you after service. What we've discovered throughout the years is, yeah, well, you guys are going to miss out. Nothing happens until the afternoon anyway because they're trying to recover from the night before. And their intentions are, yeah, we're going to have breakfast, we're going to do this. By the time Charlene and I show up at noon or 1 o'clock, they're just sort of rolling around having a cup of coffee. And yet they were trying to convince us or, you know, persuade us that, no, yeah, you're, you guys are too good for, you know, saying all kinds of things. I've shared with you before that I was the, uh, the, evil, the evil boy from the Midwest that came and snatched Darlene from the West Coast and brought her back here and... Uh, and her family, uh, especially her mother-in-law, uh, despised me, didn't like me, uh, just almost, uh, and, and, you know, had her own reasons. And I, I would try to convince her to know me is to love me, and, and yet she wasn't quite buying into that philosophy. And, and until a season came where uh, we were able to serve her in an hour of need and be there in a very, very scary time in her life where she was hanging by a thread between between life and death. And she came out of that situation, and I became her favorite son-in-law. And 
She loves me. She calls Charlene and says, I just tell Doug how much I love him. And, 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 and I was like, maybe she should have gone into a coma like 10 years earlier. I mean, it would have been. T- and, <laughs> and, you know, but doing what's right because it's right is always the right thing to do is what I want to say to you. And I know at times you're going to feel the sting of those words and of other people's opinions and the harshness and the criticism. But in the end, you know, if you stand your ground and they see that you love them and you're there for them no matter what, then in the end, they'll almost be embarrassed. Like, you know, I judged you improperly. I assessed the situation completely inappropriately. And you, you'll, be awa- you'll be amazed. One of the great verses in the book of Proverbs says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Proverbs sixteen seven. When a man's ways please the Lord, no matter what, let's stay on God's side. Let's not take that exit. Let's not end up compromising our faith. Let's not, you know, water down Jesus. Like, oh, yeah, Jesus understands. Let's not put him in that category. We know that's not respectful to him. That's no more respectful to do to him than it would be to your, a good friend that you have and say, hey, they understand. I, I, hey, I'll just do this and I'll catch up with them later. Uh, Let's give him the reverence and the priority and the proper place that he needs to have in our life. Can you say amen? Amen. So here's the last statement. It's sort of a fun statement. Uh, I I like these little uh, analogies. It says, uh, we can either be climbers, campers, or quitters. Let's keep believing and keep climbing. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.